0: Uh, we are starting a new series today that we're calling Stress Less, <clears throat> so I think everyone would like to stress less, correct? Um, so really we're going to be talking about is peace, and uh, we're going to spend three weeks on this. Originally originally was going to be four. We're going to do something different, including Christmas family communion that, that we usually do on the 23rd, the Sunday before uh, Christmas, but uh, today we're going to talk about how to have peace with God, and then how that leads into us uh, experiencing the peace of God. And then next week, we're going to focus on how to live in the peace of God. And then on the 16th, Preston is going to talk about how to live at peace with others. So if we're at peace with God, know how to live out of the peace of God, and can find a way to live at peace with others, uh, we ought to have more peace and less stress in our lives, Right? And, you know, really the Bible has a lot to to say uh, about peace, but really life has a lot to say uh, about stress. Um, uh, According to the American Psychological Association, and and this is from 2014, it it says that Americans list as the top stressors in their lives job pressure, um, money, health relationships, uh, poor nutrition, um, media overload, and uh, sleep uh, deprivation. You can relate with any of those. Um, You know, it lists as some of the top results of stress. It talks about uh, physical results, uh, fatigue, headache, upset uh, stomach, uh, muscle uh, tension, change in appetite, uh, teeth grinding, uh, feeling dizzy. I'm not quite sure how stress makes you feel dizzy, but uh, I guess that can happen. Or psychological results, uh, irritability, anger, uh, feeling nervous, lack of energy, feeling as though uh, you could cry. And, and so the reality is uh, stress affects us in, in psychological ways. It affects us in, in physical ways. It affects our health. Uh, they estimate that employers lose uh, about an aggregate of about $300 billion a year in the United States because of stress-related issues uh, among their employees. Now, if you're an employee, instead of an employer, you might say, if my employer would be less stressful, then he would lose less money from me because of stress-related issues. Amen? But, uh, However, I guess you're uh, going to look at that uh, in, in different ways. But um, stress obviously affects all of us. And uh, where I want to start with this, though, is like I said, next we're going to talk about the peace of God, going to talk about how to live at peace with others, but I think we have to begin, if we're going to begin in the right place with this uh, biblically, to understand that if we're going to have the peace of God, which is then going to spill over into our relationships with others, it starts with being at peace with God. Or let me say it a different way. You can't possess and live out of the peace of God unless you're at peace with God. And and so that's where we're going to start. Missy read from Isaiah chapter 9, and there's that great verse, Isaiah 9, 6, that has those four couplets describing the Messiah, Jesus. And the last one says that he is the Prince of Peace. Jesus came to bring peace. Now, of course, uh, because of how people respond to him, there's conflict that created that's created too. But I want you to understand that Jesus, part of the reason he came, was to make us at peace with God, to give us the peace of God, and then enable us through uh, the peace of God that comes from the Holy Spirit to live in peace with other people. That's part of the Christmas story. And I think that's really good news because we're all stressed and we're all looking for peace. Honestly, I think a lot of the dumb things we do as human beings are in a quest to have peace. And peace is something that's internal. It doesn't come from external things. So if you've got a Bible, your phone, whatever, uh, let's go to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to talk about primarily how to have peace with God, but then I want to show you also from this text how being at peace with God then leads us, if we think right, if we believe right, to being able to experience the peace of God, and then we'll build on that next week. So I'm going to focus on the first five verses of Romans Uh, chapter 5 today. We're going to read through verse 11 uh, because there's some things in verses 6 through 11 that really amplify, clarify what it says in verses 1 through 5. So it says, therefore, and so really uh, this is connecting back to everything that Paul has already said in the book of Romans. And, And really, basically what he's already told us in the book of Romans is that Um, You know, we're, we're all sinners under the righteous condemnation of God. But Jesus came. He died for our sins. And when we trust him, we're declared righteous. We're made right with God. Our sins are forgiven. There's no more condemnation. We're brought into a right relationship with God. So he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So he's saying here, if we're justified, if we're right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that means we have peace with God. It means we stand in the grace of God. It means we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Talking about heaven, he says not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. We can know that there's a purpose even in the trials that come uh, in, in living the Christian life. He says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. So trials, difficulties, uh, really the word tribulation means to be squeezed. Uh, it, it was used of squeezing grapes to produce grape juice or squeezing olives to produce olive oil. And, and so the word picture is, is when we're squeezed, when we go through trials, it doesn't really make us or break us. It just squeezes out whatever's on the inside of us. We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, meaning it produces endurance. The only way to build endurance it's to endure. It's the only way you can. In um, perseverance, character, the idea of enduring tribulation is what it's saying here. Literally, uh, the word character really comes from a Greek word that's talking about uh, passing a test. The only way we can have proven character is when we pass some tests, when we go through some trials. And character, hope, because once we see God see us through our trials, it gives us hope for our future, knowing that his promises are going to be fulfilled, knowing that if he's taking care of us in this life, he's definitely going to take care of us in the life to come. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, that's us. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, we we would celebrate someone who died for a friend. We'd celebrate someone who died for a stranger. But Jesus died for his enemies. That's the gospel. It says, much more then, having now been justified, having been declared righteous by his blood through his sacrificial death, we shall be saved from wrath through him. There's more, no more wrath in Christ. In, in other words, what, here's the picture we need to see here. We've moved from, ra- from being under the wrath of God to living at peace with God through faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. He says, for if, we were, if when we were enemies... We were reconciled. So we've gone from being separated by our sin to being reconciled to God, being at peace with God through what? Through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So here's uh, the the main idea that I want you to to see today. Peace with God is the result of, of being declared righteous through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what we need to understand. This this is foundational. Like I say, we're going to build on this. We're starting doctrinal. And by the end of this message in the next two weeks, it's going to be real practical. But, But here's the point. You can't have the peace of God if you're not at peace with God. And this is not about a feeling. This is about an objective reality. Okay? Either we're at peace with God or we're not. If we're in Christ, we're at peace with God. If we're rejecting Christ, we're under the wrath of God. We're separated from God. We're an enemy of God because of our sin. Now, I understand in 2018, that seems kind of harsh. Because, you know, our tendency is to think. If, you know, if there's a God, God's love and you know, he knows we're fallible and frail and we're just human beings and he's kind of going to pat us on the head and you know, just kind of look, at, look over it when it's all said and done. But that's not what he says in his word right here, is it? I mean, he talks about wrath and enemies and needing to be reconciled and uh, you know, Christ dying for the ungodly. Our sins separate us from God. But then the way we're made right with God is we're justified by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so to be justified, really the word picture comes from the courtroom. It's the judge acquitting someone. It's the judge saying we're not guilty. It's the judge declaring us as innocent, as, as righteous. It's God not holding our sins against us anymore because now he doesn't just see us, he sees us in Christ. And so uh, what he's saying is when that happens, when we trust Jesus and God acquits us, he justifies us, he declares us righteous, that at that moment we're at peace with God forever, completely, completely. So understand that. If you're in Christ, you are at peace with God. There's no anger. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. There's no rejection. There's no separation. There's only acceptance and love and fatherhood and grace and goodness and kindness. And so we have to understand the background here. Aaron, if you would go back to verse 10. Look at verse 10 again. Says, for if when we were enemies, um, do you understand that when you were apart from Christ, or if you still are, you're at enmity with God. You're, you're separated from God. His righteous judgment is against you. And, and, and you may or may not realize this, but you're actually against God. You understand? Basically, what we've all done whether we realize it or not. You know what a coup is when someone tries to overthrow a government or a military? Basically, our sin is us trying to stage a coup against the Lord of the universe. We've... This is what Adam and Eve did in the garden. He just gave them one rule and he gave them paradise, perfection, blessing, but it wasn't enough. And they said, we want to have it our own way. We want to do our own thing. You know, we don't want to be told what to do. And so they said, you know, we're going to do what we want to do. And all of us have done that. And if you look throughout history, when people stage coups unsuccessfully, what usually happens to them? They usually get executed, right? Right? I mean, usually the king, the, the whoever, the, the government, didn't just overlook it. And God hasn't either. And so his response to us trying to take his place in our lives, trying to rule our own lives, do our own thing when we've disobeyed him, is wrath and condemnation and enmity. Isaiah 59, 2 says our sins have separated us from God. That's why... Every person has to be justified through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ because we've all rebelled against God. We've all tried to stage this spiritual coup. And because of that, we're under the righteous judgment of God, separated from Him. And so the only way to be brought back to Him is by grace. And that's why Jesus came, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect and a sinless life. And then He died on the cross bearing our sins and experiencing God's righteous wrathful judgment for our sin. And so that's the background. But then, you know, notice what he says then here in verse 10 and verse 11 when we're justified, we move from being enemies to being reconciled to God. The word reconciled is a beautiful word. I think it's one of the most beautiful words in the Bible. Because to reconcile means to take two things that are separated. And bring them back together again. I mean, here's a simple example. They've shared their testimony here before. But Terry and Sherry Ford, Preston's parents, were married to each other. They divorced each other. And then they remarried each other. So they they had a relationship. That relationship was broken. And now they're reconciled. See, that's what happened at the cross. We, ha- we had a relationship with God. We're created for a relationship with God. Sin broke that. And at the cross, Jesus reconciled us. When we place our faith in him, we're brought back together with him. There's not separation anymore. There's connection now. So you see that the picture. You've get, got to get this background. I think this is beautiful. This is encouraging that God created us. We've sinned. We've rebelled against him. We're separated under judgment because of our sin. But through the cross now, we're reconciled. We're reconnected. We're brought back into a relationship with him. That's why Jesus died. Jesus died in part to make us at peace with God. Let me show you a couple other scriptures. Let's look in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, to, to start with, and a lot of this is the Christmas story. It may not seem like a Christmas message, but, but it really is. It says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, all the fullness of deity, Jesus, truly God, truly man. But notice what it says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Then it makes it even stronger. Paul writes this, he says, You who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now think about that. If we've been reconciled to God through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, how does God see us? He sees us as holy and blameless. And then I love this phrase, above reproach in his sight. That's grace. Look at what uh, Scripture says. Look what Paul writes in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 13. He says, But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, Jews and Gentiles, made us both one body in the church, and has broken down the middle wall uh, of separation. If you remember, you know there was a certain place in the temple that the Jews couldn't get past, but now we're invited to come into the very presence of God. Why? When Jesus died, was the temple veil torn in two? It was torn in two uh, supernaturally to demonstrate that the way is now freely open into the presence presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, because the next verse says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Do you see what he's saying? There's no more enmity. There's no more division, separation between us and God Uh, in Christ. He's reconciled us. He's brought us back to him. We're at peace with him. But not only that, he says, in the church, in Christ, as brothers and sisters, we're now one. There's no division. There's no separation. There's no enmity between us. We're reconciled to him. And so we ought to then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be able to live at peace with one another. As well. All of this vertically and horizontally then fits together. Jesus came to bring us peace. Uh, th- there's a great illustration of this, a famous illustration uh, by, from a man by the name of, uh, of Don Richardson. He and his wife, uh, I think her name was Carol, were, were missionaries uh, to a tribe of Indians called the Sowies. And in their culture, things, it was a very primitive culture. I think it was in South America. I may not be remembering that detail correctly. But anyway, things were so upside down in their culture. They were so primitive. Uh, you know, they, they valued violence and, and, and terror toughness and warfare, that when he tried to bring the gospel to them and started uh, sharing the New Testament with them, they found Judas, not Jesus, to be the hero of the story. Because they so valued you know, cunning and guile and being able to, to trick your enemy that they thought Judas was awesome. And so He's trying to, to figure out a way, it's, it's called in missiology, a redemptive analogy, a way to show the gospel to them. And so finally, in the, you know, the providence of God, he stumbled upon something because in their tribes, they had a custom that, um, and they called it translated the peace child, that when there was conflict or warfare or strife between two different tribes, that they would take a child from one of the tribes, I think usually you know, from one of the chiefs of the tribe, and they would give it to that child. And, and, or give it to the other tribe, give that child to the other tribe. And, and as long as that child lived, those two tribes would be at peace. If something came up, they would appeal to the, the peace child and, and, and look to that child. And that child would prevent them from, from fighting and being at enmity and at warfare with one another. And he saw this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the peace child. He, he was given to bring us peace with God. So there's not warfare, there's not enmity anymore, but now there's reconciliation, there's relationship there. So when we trust Jesus, we're no longer separated from God, we're reconciled to God, we're at peace with God. He's the peace child, that's what Christmas is about, that's why he came. Now, when you think about peace itself, being at peace with God, I want to read a couple of quotes to you, they'll be on the screen so you can... Uh, read along as well. Uh, Kenneth Wiest uh, says that peace means to bind together that which has been separated. We're bound together with God. The word with here literally means facing. And, and, and I think this is very powerful because now Through Jesus Christ, instead of of hiding from God, instead of cowering from God in fear or running from God in shame, we can come to God face to face through Jesus Christ. We can now face God. We can now realize we're bound together with him. He's our father and we're his children. Um. Robert Mounts, uh, well, instead of being ashamed and, and afraid, the believer in Jesus can now face God with peace because we have this righteousness. And then Robert Mounts writes, it speaks of the new relationship, this peace, that exists between God and those who turn to him in faith. As Paul used the term, it does not primarily depict a state of inner tranquility, it is eternal, it is external and objective. To have peace with God means to be in a relationship with God in which all the hostility caused by sin has been removed. It no longer exists under the wrath of God, but then also peace is the joyful experience of those who live in harmony with God, other people, and themselves. So what I'm saying is, is peace with God is an objective spiritual reality but when we have that, it can then produce this more subjective, internal feeling of peace and harmony in us because we're in harmony with God, harmony with ourselves. You know, The peace of God's in us. We, you know, we know how to live in peace with, with other people. So peace with God that produces the peace of God that leads then to peace with others. John MacArthur has, has written this. He says, although the peace of God... Which Paul is speaking in this passage is the objective peace of being reconciled to God. Awareness of that objective truth gives the believer a deep and wonderful subjective peace as well. Since to know that one is a child of God, a brother of Jesus Christ, cannot but give Christians what Charles Hodge called the sweet quiet of the soul. Peace with God, peace of God, leads to peace with others. So let me ask you this question. Are you at peace with God today? Do you know that you've been reconciled to God? Or are you still living under the weight and the guilt and the shame of your sin? Do you know that you're separated from God? Or have you been brought to to God, reconciled to God, because you're trusting in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross, His glorious resurrection, trusting in His grace alone, not your own efforts for your salvation. And so, if you're not right with God, not reconciled to God, not at peace with God, His invitation to you today is to come to Him, to be able to face Him, to know Him. Through faith in Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins, repent of your self-effort, believe the gospel, trust in Jesus, the Son of God, who died for you and rose from the dead. Trust in Him alone for your salvation. And so, I mean, that's what I encourage you to do. In in, in this time this morning, just to ask God to forgive you of your sins, to to ask Jesus to come in your life, to repent and, and to trust Him. But... In the few minutes we have left, I kind of want to also you know, kind of lay a foundation for talking about the peace of God. And so really what I want us to see here is we're justified by faith. There's some spiritual benefits, some spiritual realities that come into our lives. And I want us, I want us to see how these relate specifically to peace and being at peace. And so I want to show you four of those, but before we do that, I want to kind of go back to something. Last year we did a series uh, called "Set Free to Live Free," and a couple times in the series I used this uh, graphic of this tree that it comes from Lori Arwood, our church counselor, but it, it illustrates the importance of a belief system, how we think. Okay, and part of what we're going to talk about next week is we talk about being at peace. Uh, living in the peace of God is if we're thinking wrong, we're not going to live at peace. W- one of the keys to actually experiencing and living out of the peace of God is thinking the right way, believing truth instead of lies. And, and that's the point of this. If you look at the roots here, our environment's either healthy or unhealthy. We all th- have things that have affected us in our lives, or actually that's the soil, then the, the, but the root here is our beliefs. We're either believing lies or we're believing truth. And if we believe lies, we're going to think wrong. And if we think wrong, we're going to act wrong. And we're going to feel wrong. Because our thoughts produce our feelings. I think sometimes we think, you know, our feelings, our emotions are these just completely uncontrollable things. And I understand there's physiological components and maybe we can't completely control that. But how we think has a lot to do with how we feel. So if we're believing truth and we're thinking truthful, right, godly thoughts, then godly, right, truthful actions and healthy feelings are going to be produced out of that. Our mind is the key to everything else. So with that in mind, I want us to see here four truths that I believe if we believe what God says here, think what God says here, instead of you know thinking and believing based on our circumstances, that it will go a long way to help us in living in the peace of God. Okay? So number one, we can live in peace. Because we stand in grace instead of guilt. Now, let's go back to to verse 2 and look at what it says again. Uh, It says, through whom, which is talking about Jesus, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, a couple things about what this is, is saying here. This grace, this access, um, and and, and the, the, the word access here means like an introduction or an entree. And, and if you think about a, a king, in ancient days, you couldn't just walk into the king's palace, couldn't walk into his chambers and say, hey, dude, how you doing today? Can we hang out for a little bit? Right? It, it, it took an invitation and it took someone at the appointed time actually bringing you into the presence of that king. If you're for us, that's Jesus. That we have a 24-7 invitation and access and entree into the presence of God, into the grace of God through Jesus who died for us. But then, you know, the thing about it, you know, with the king, even with his wives, I mean, you see this in the book of Esther, you know, sometimes the wife was allowed to spend time with the king. Sometimes she wasn't. But it doesn't work that way with us and God because in this grace we stand, we don't come and go. It's constant. It's perpetual. It's never ending. It's never failing. It's uh, all the time, it's not inconsistent. So, so think about it. What he's saying here through Jesus Christ, we have access, introduction, stand all the time in the grace of God. So, all of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. Uh, we don't live in guilt anymore. And what's one of the things that stresses us and robs us of our peace if we're honest about it? It's guilt, it's shame, it's regret. It's living in the past. And so what he's saying to us is stop focusing on, if you're in Christ, stop focusing on your sin. Stop focusing on your shame. uh, Stop focusing on your past and realize that you stand in the grace of God. You don't have any guilt. You don't have any shame. Your past has been redeemed. You've been made new. In John 1.16 it says we've received grace upon grace, the fullness of grace. Romans 5.20 says... Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15:10, Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. And so, if we believe that all the time our lives are uh, marked by, controlled by the grace of God instead of who we were, that's going to eliminate a lot of what stresses us in our minds. So do we believe that? Do we think that way? Number two, we can live in peace because we have the hope of the glory of God. That's what the end of verse two says. What's he talking about when he says the hope of the glory of God? Well, it really, it's talking about heaven. And it's talking about the fact in heaven we're going to experience God in all of his glory. And it's also talking about the fact that we are going to be glorified in heaven. We're going to be perfected. Uh, Everything's going to be made right. Everything's going to be made new. We're delivered from the very presence. uh, uh, Never experience again sin or sickness or sorrow or death or, or, or separation. Everything is going to be perfect forever and ever. I want you to think about something. All of us in our lives... There, there's things that make us feel stressed. There's things that make us feel at peace. And we're obviously you know, trying to order our lives to make them peaceful. But everything in the world fights against that because we live in a fallen world. Um, I mean, think about the holidays even. You... Decorate your home in a way because, you know, that's, it's a celebration. It, it, that gives you joy and peace and encouragement. You know, you, you have family together and, you know, it's kind of, it, hopefully there's peace and there's joy. And it, it, it's, it's a celebration, you know, and you exchange gifts. And hopefully all this, you know, is it's designed to be kind of a respite from just the day-to-day stress of life the rest of the year. But does it always work out that way? You know, you want to get your family together, but then your crazy uncle shows up. Right? You want to exchange gifts, but then, you know, the credit card bill comes in January and, and you're completely stressed out. Maybe your meal doesn't go like it's supposed to or, you know, your neighbor has uh, better decorations uh, than, than you do. But you see... The Bible says that God's placed eternity in our hearts. You know why ultimately we do these things? You know ultimately what we're looking for? We're looking for that ultimate peace and that ultimate joy and that ultimate satisfaction and comfort and and, and hope and absence of sin and just Things being the way that they ought to be. You know, C.S. Lewis said, and he's so right, that if nothing in this world really ultimately satisfies you, what that means is you were made for another world. And you see, at the end of the day, what we're all longing for down deep and and, and what uh, the things we do in our lives are uh, just kind of imperfect uh, striving for, we're all longing for the glory of God. And so when we have the hope of that, when our future is secure, when we don't have to fear death, when we know that when it's all said and done, it may be difficult between here and now, but when it's all said and done, it's going to be okay and we're going to experience everything we're longing for. It doesn't make everything perfect. doesn't fix everything in this life. But it eliminates one of the biggest stresses we have, which is the bondage, what Scripture calls it, of the fear of death and a hopelessness in our future. So we can live in peace because we have the hope of the glory of God. Number three, we can live in peace when we know that our trials have a purpose. Now, that doesn't mean we want trials. I mean, I want everything to be easy and smooth. We all do. But that's not how life works in a sinful world. And it's really not how the Christian life works with the Lord because we can't learn endurance, develop endurance. We can't grow in our character. Our faith and our hope can't be solidified unless we go through some trials. Trials are designed to make us stronger. and The point I'm making is this. if we realize there's a purpose, if we realize that God is doing some things through the trials, if we choose to rejoice and worship uh, during the trials, we can, it may not make it easy and it may not eliminate every stress and we may still struggle with some anxiety, but there's a lot better chance of us living in peace if we look at it this way uh, as opposed to thinking this is random and there's no hope and where's God and why is all this happening to me and what's God doing to me? Do you understand the difference? And you see, as we go through things and God makes us stronger, we can then have more and more peace in in, in, in approaching things in the future. Illustrate it this way. I think it was the day after, I know it was a week ago, but I think it was the day after we got back from Honduras in October. Uh, I went to the gym to work out. And uh, usually I go after work, but this was earlier in the day because I wasn't working that day and Robin and Lily were at school. And so I I went on to the gym and I I work out at Manly and they have like a daycare there with some little kids and they come down to the gym on some days at different points in the day. And so uh, I'm I'm in the weight room and I'm doing like seated bench presses on a machine. Okay. I I use machines because I'm old, and it's easier to manage and not get hurt than if you're doing free weights. And so I wasn't doing a lot of weight because I don't really try. To, I can do more weight than this, but I don't try to do a lot of weight. I'm doing like a set of 10 with like 110 pounds. Okay, so like some of you could do that, you know, a lot more than that, uh, you know, no problem. Uh, so, you know, you could look at, at what I'm doing and think, ah, that's nothing, But then, you know, these kids are running around out in the gym acting crazy. And there's a little girl, I would guess she was about four, that it's just like, you know, it's glass window there so you can can see in. She stops outside. She's watching. I hear her say to herself, that is so heavy. (laughs) Um, And so to her, to a four-year-old at her size... And her experience and her level of strength, you know, it it looked like that, uh, you know, I was bench pressing 600 pounds or or, or something like that. Because that was a whole lot bigger than her. It was a whole lot more than than what she could lift. And you understand, this is kind of how it works in our trials, uh, with our trials sometimes. When we've never been through anything, something little and light looks like trying to move the biggest boulder in the world. But once we've been through some stuff and, and, and the Lord has seen us through some things and, and we've seen his goodness and we've seen his love and he's strengthened us uh, spiritually and, and, uh, and, you know, he's grown our faith, we could be lifting a whole lot of weight, so to speak, and think, uh, ah, it's not this big a deal because he's made us strong enough to handle it. And so when something comes to us, we're not completely freaking out. We may not want it, but there's peace there because we've experienced God working in our trials. So we can have peace. We realize our trials have a purpose. And then last, we can live in peace because or when we're secure in the love of God. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Listen, one of the most stressful things in the world is wondering if you're loved or feeling like you have to learn love, earn love, right? When you've been around kids who don't know if they're loved, uh, who, you know, are trying to earn love, it messes them up. I mean, some of us are carrying wounds into our adulthood because that's what our childhood was like. But when we know we're loved, when we're secure in love, it gives us a peace out of which you can face almost anything. Listen to me. In this world, we can't control how people treat us. We can't control whether or not people love us, even those closest to us. But here's the truth that God wants us to believe that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We're secure in his love. Nothing is ever going to separate us from his love. And the more we believe that, the more we'll live at peace in our lives. John wrote this. He says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love but per- Perfect love cast out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Listen, you say, "I don't feel loved. Sometimes I mean, you don't know what my life's like. I mean, does God really love me? Well, can I take you back to verse eight to conclude? Romans 5:8, "But God demonstrates His love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word demonstrate means proves. When you doubt the love of God, when you don't feel loved in your life, just fix your eyes on Jesus Christ and on His cross. And that is what proves, settles, ultimately demonstrates the love of God For us, when we see how the Son of God was tortured, uh, crucified uh, for us, how can we doubt that God loves us? So just know that if you're in Christ, if you're trusting Him, you're at peace with God. And then, out of that, in our minds, in our beliefs, realize we stand in grace. We have the hope of the glory of God. Our trials are working out a good purpose. We're secure in the love of God. And as we believe that, it gives us a foundation then to live in the peace of God so we can face the trials and difficulties of this life in a healthy way. So, if you're not a Christian, he invites you to give your life. To trust Jesus today. If you are. He encourages you to know and believe and meditate on his word. Stop living based on circumstances. But in the midst of whatever the circumstances are. Seek God through his word. Ask him to give you the grace to claim and believe and live based on his truth. Instead of lies. And as we live in the truth. It's going to fill us more and more with the peace of God. Let's pray.